Welcome to Elementary Talks, the podcast that connects marketing, design, and development experts to help you build better websites. Tal Florentine is an award-winning user experience specialist who successfully led over 150 UX projects. In our talk, Tal lists the crucial questions that are usually missed when building landing pages. He also explains about his guidelines for getting content to work better and shares his predictions concerning the future of digital content. Hi, Elementors. This is Ben, and I'm here with Tal Florentine, founder of Samurai, UX award winner, and worldwide speaker. Hi, Tal. Hey, great to be here. And just because this is uh, an interview in a, a subject that is focused on design, I have with me the creative director at Elementor, Asaf. Hi, Asaf. Hi, guys. How are you? So, Tal, it's great to have you here. Uh, why don't you first tell us how you reached this project uh, Uh, this line of work <laughs> okay so basically I started my uh, professional uh, experience from uh, software engineering I was a programmer later on I was a team leader and then a project manager a software uh, engineer uh, and after around a decade of doing the backend and front end of software I basically and being the creative guy in the room the one designing icons from the For, for the others on the team. I uh, did the, the, the crazy jump to the design world and became a user experience designer. It was kind of uh, early stages around 12 years ago when uh, nobody really knew what or how this should be done. So I had uh, a good place to, to, to make mistakes without anybody knowing that these are mistakes. So I enjoyed uh, building and understanding uh, this area uh, through time and, and I became a service provider and uh, along the, the way around this decade I designed uh, more than 150 uh, digital products doing their uh, screens. I did a statistic uh, a few a few weeks ago it's it's something like 5,000 screens oh which I, I designed <laughs> and this so, is across platform across cross fields right? Yeah, you could find basically everything there, uh, from gaming to back office, CRM, e-commerce, uh, you name it, factory, the management systems, uh, basically all of the platforms available. Basically, after, after designing that many screens, you, you create some kind of a relationship with the screens. You, you understand each other much more than most of the people, so, so you have some kind of a strange relationship with the pixels and elements on the screen. This is a great point where you understand that we, we, when we have this uh, control, we, we have control over what people feel, do, uh, or, or see. And it's amazing how, what difference you can create by just moving an element from one place to a different place on the screen. So this is a huge uh, topic, and it's kind of best uh, to tackle it. I want to go deeper into it with uh, maybe a... A simpler field so let's take uh, projects of landing pages so how do you approach this kind of project and uh, tell us your insights into this uh, this process so I want to tackle it from a from a, a specific point of view uh, basically I think that um, you would assume that uh, people with a lot of experience in user experience design would 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 try to uh, prevent from working on landing landing pages because they seem to be very basic or uh, you know the low part of, uh, of design uh, and I think this is completely wrong because this is where things happen 
and you have a very short time to affect people. And this is a great place to, to check your tools and, and resources and to see if it's working for you. And I think if I, if I go back to software engineering, I can tell you that uh, one of the models that I usually used before I started to learn uh, user experience design uh, thoroughly is that uh, w whenever I wanted to design a screen, I basically try to look around and see what's, what other people are doing. And I assume that they know what they do. Yeah. Then this was basically my main uh, decision-making was based on what others did. And I think that the main element that nobody told me when I was a software engineer is that there are people out there and we basically don't have any, don't invest any time in understanding them. We basically try to copy from others and assume that we all do everything correctly. You know, everybody talks about user experience, but uh, most of the, the companies or, or even uh, SMBs that theoretically do user experience design have a very short time spent with audience, with people. And I think this is the, the missing element. So I think if, if you look at the, uh, the industry and you see, we, we look for inspiration, we look at what others did, we, we see something, we say it's, be it's beautiful, let's do something uh, like that and let's copy a concept from a big a company. We basically miss the main questions with, uh, which are who is on the other side, who are the users, what, what's their story? And instead of, uh, of talking in a general uh, way, we, we want to create some kind of a simple story, talk about one person, try to understand how's their, the, their point of view. And I think this is where uh, magic starts to, to happen because then, you, then you, you have the ability to look at the, at the structure or the or design of, uh, of a landing page. And instead of ask whether you, are, you like it or not, uh, ask why would it work for you or for your audience? What elements on the screen are relevant to what you try to achieve? So I think the missing uh, question that nobody told me about was instead of how the uh, page would be designed uh, nicely or effectively, uh, what what behavior do you want to create when people arrive to the page? So, And then when I look at elements, I don't look at them from a graphic point of view. I look at them from a strate strategic point of view where I try to see how the elements on the screen are going to drive the flow that I try to achieve when, when I meet people. So if I'll give a specific example, just to, just to show how this state of mind works, around, uh, I think, uh, 18 months ago or so, I was working with the local uh, agency of Hyundai, and we designed the car, the, the car page, which is basically kind of a landing page, but if you think of it, it's not a decision done immediately. You basically come back to this page on and on for a while until you get the decision. So the first thing I did, obviously, is I, I went around to see what other car uh, companies and dealers uh, do. And honestly, I, I was kind of stuck in nice design and things that I didn't, didn't find too relevant to what we're trying to achieve. And I thought there was a missing link. And then what I did is, is basically I, vi I visited the, the sales agency physically. We went mm -hmm. to the place where people sell Hyundai cars. And I spent around a full day spending around, just being around, seeing how sales conversations behave. What uh, are the objections? And, uh, and you, you basically see the flow where sale, a sales guy starts to lead the conversation with a potential client. And then, then you actually see the flow of what questions are raised and what uh, blockers prevent people from deciding. Do you create w diagrams of this? 
I would, uh, you know, romantically, I would say that yes, but I probably <laughs> wrote it on a paper and then threw it away or something. But but w- whatever happened there is is what I had to have in mind. So, for example, I'll tell, I'll give you a. It's kind of not very politically correct agenda, but it it was statistically this was what happens. Usually, the the husband comes with the motivation to buy a new car and. They want a sports car or a very uh, big engine or, or the new module and so, yeah. and so on. And then comes the decision making. And before they decide, they basically understand that they don't have the ability to decide. <laughs> so they call their wife. For approval, and yeah. then when she comes to, to, to look at the car, she looks at the car from a completely different point of view. So she starts to ask about the safety. She doesn't ask how, wh- yeah. what's, the, what's the size of the engine or Anything about the performance of the car, she, she doesn't care. She usually, and this is, of course, very uh, politically correct, problematic concept, but, but this is what happens in, in most of the conversations. Basically, what happens is that she comes and asks the real questions of how are we going to get the children sitting on the yeah. back seat and how are we going to put uh, things for traveling So it's basically two personas that you have to have the <coughs> landing page to cater to. Yeah, correctly, correct. But, but it's usually when we talk about personas, we, we try to look at the page from these two different point of views. But what, usually what we don't do is put them on the same timeline. Mm. So, so things that raise from that point of view is that, first of all, the way that I will build uh, a landing page is that I would go to a state of mind of a long one pager. Usually people ask me, how long can a one pager be? So the, the, the answer is as, as long as people need in order to have a decision making. So if they have, still have more questions, we can still answer more questions. So it can be very long until they basically decide to, to buy or they leave. And I don't want them to leave, so I, don't, I want them to keep on getting more information. And basically what happens in a long decision making like a car is that instead of just putting the buy now uh, or Uh, set up an uh, set up an appointment button I would have in that specific scenario another button of send it to a person mm. send a link to to your wife because she is going to look at it also so the way the page is structures is, is structured is based on the process that the salesperson has in in their conversation so you you would find similarity not to other pages in other uh, car uh, dealers and, and providers and You would see a similarity between how a salesperson in the sales uh, shop talks and how the, the landing page is, is structured. Uh, so this is in order to drive motivation and, and talk about blockers and give the information that people need in order to have the decision making. So all of the information I needed was there on the physically. It's super interesting and I, I have a question following this logic of uh, two people who are making a decision, With a very specific point of view if you're designing a landing page for following the same example like who would be your first audience would it would it be the husband or the wife or would you try to have both of them like to look at the same page and get all the answers they need like what would be your strategy to make this page the best selling page so I think the strategy changes from from one project to another Uh, sometimes I would look at the same page and, and try to get into the shoes of each one of them separately and see how they go through the flow. Uh, other times I will do some kind of a hierarchy of, of messaging. In, in a car uh, landing page, I would obviously start with the visual car, the ability to, to 
you know, turn it in a 30, 360 degrees and then play with the, with the colors. And then we'd go to pictures because this is where the decision making starts. Because if you don't like the car, the additional information is not relevant. But once you're there, you start talking about the next uh, t- types of questions. And basically what, what we did is we interviewed sales people to see what's the flow of the questions. And because of the fact that different audiences have different questions, we had to find a way to put everything on one page. In other projects, I would totally think about dividing the audience into segments and moving each one of them to a different page. I think this is something that we usually don't do, and this is this has a lot of potential in creating the specific point of view that each one of the audiences need. Uh, it requires some creativity in order to find a way to segment it without being, uh, you know, still being politically correct and not creating some strange question on the screen. Uh, but I think that mm. it's, it's a very, very interesting point of view that drives much better uh, uh, messaging. And if you can get leads uh, to the relevant page and split pages by getting the right leads to the right page, this is another version of the same strategy, then I think uh, thinking about multiple different pages, which each one of them is built separately in order to fit to a different story, this is totally a thing that I I think companies should check and dive into. Well, I think the whole realm of user experience sort of uh, has the connotation of big brands and big companies. So how can someone who is in the process of building websites, maybe building landing pages, using a, a, a WordPress and, and uh, tools like Elementor, how can they incorporate? So you mentioned like visiting the, the actual physical place of business. What are the tools like user testing? What are the tools that are uh, accessible can they use? I think that uh, user experience design is basically a state of mind. It's not uh, something that uh, only big companies can do. It mainly requires to move the attention outside of your room and onto your audience and spend time with them. It's amazing. I always say that, uh, you know, the big companies uh, have some strategies that uh, basically from a working point of view, they they spend something like three hours uh, each two months in being with their audience. It's kind of uh, something uh, that statistically happens in many big companies. And I'm kind of asking, don't we have three hours to go out and actually spend time with our audience? We spend tons of hours building the the platforms that we do and so on. If we just go out of the office and go and visit our audience and just spend time with them asking questions and so on, it doesn't have to be hundreds of them. It can be two or three of them. Or you can actually create some kind of an online survey and just ask the main questions. And amazingly, what what usually happens is that the answers you get move you from the original state of mind where you assumed stuff. Then sometimes you just understand that they are completely irrelevant and the world outside behaves completely differently. And when you start to understand that usually this is the answer that you get from asking questions, you you basically stop uh, believing in your own knowledge because you understand that it's sometimes worthless. So I would suggest just closing the computer and go out of the room to the next coffee shop and asking people about their motivations and beliefs and so on. This is where magic happens. You know, you know by, by, by a conversation of an hour, you'll get tons of new ideas. And this is basically where you'll, you'll understand which one of the uh, inspiration websites that you look at would be relevant for that. Not because they're designed nicely or they're updated or so on. 
because they provide the answer that you were looking for from a very specific point of view. I think that's, that's a great idea also because it builds your skills, your skill set, because if all you do is like copying successful uh, people, even if you become successful, you won't understand what brought you there. I just have to add that uh, the fact that we assume that they're successful is not always the truth. The, the fact that you found their website on some kind of an inspirational design doesn't mean that anybody has actually went live with it or it's working for them. Uh, we don't have any way of testing it. Uh, even if it's working for them, maybe, maybe they a have a audience. completely different audience with a completely different strategy. So we basically don't have the ability to, to uh, decide. And I think the main question is asking why. Why, why would this model fit my audience with this specific state of mind and even without uh, testing uh, just having this state of mind of asking why and, and thinking from that point of view basically gives us the, the secret of being able to decide much more easily and much more specifically to our needs so if we're talking on the subject of audience uh, so one of the key challenges is uh, actually targeting an audience that is different than yourself uh, now I know that you have uh, uh, an example of uh, actually uh, trying to target generation, uh, I think, what letter is it? Is it Y or Z? I can't follow <laughs> already. But how can you approach uh, targeting an audience that is much different than yourself, maybe a very young audience? One of the projects I've been working on uh, a few years ago uh, was redesigned for a local uh, Tel Avivian blog, a very successful one, a very popular one called Maveze. Uh, Maveze would be, if I'll try to, to translate the name, it's kind of uh, the coolest way of asking what's up in the local language. Uh, so it's basically a community built of uh, around uh, 300 bloggers writing about their world and a giant community around them uh, spending time reading and following. And amazingly, what, what I got is the, the free space of doing whatever I, I want. So it, this was the redesign of the site? Yeah, it was an existing site. It, it, it looked very old-fashioned or not relevant to the audience, and we had the chance to redesign it. And I basically had uh, clients that were open to whatever I feel like. There were almost no blockers on on having my ideas, which is kind of the optimal way of being a designer. But then there's the pressure of doing things right. So again, target audience. So I'm not very far from a Y generation. I think formally I have three years difference from the older Y generation, but it's a completely state of a different state of mind. So I kind of went went through it with a research point of view. So I was trying to figure out what's what's the story with these guys. So there, there's not a lot of information about Y generation. People try to figure them out and nobody... Basically, the, the Y generation is people born, I think, in the 80s? Yeah, like, start, so beginning of 80, 80 or 82. There's different uh, versions of the same concept, but around the 80s. And w when you try to figure them out, uh, the, the main, quest, the, the main uh, sentence that arrives is that nobody figures them out and they don't figure themselves out as well. It's kind of a vague audience. And the main thing that you find about uh, uh, millennials, uh, Generation Y, is that uh, they're full of contradictions, which, which is kind of uh, interesting because, for example, they want to be rich, but they don't want to work hard like, like our parents. So they want a different version of how to become rich. Yeah. Uh, a different version of that, with, which was a specific uh, issue with what we did. 
is that they want to know a lot, but they have no patience reading. So it's kind of trying to figure out how to live with these contradictions. Like have the cake, have the cake and eat it too. Totally. Like so, so this is the basic state of mind of, of being uh, around them. So what I did is, is, again, user research. I was spending time with them, which is kind of fun because there were big parties and so on. It's kind of you, uh, having you, fun. How did, how did you just went out to parties or what, what yeah, happened? When, whenever they had some kind of uh, meeting, engagement, by party, whatever, and, and they did it a lot. So, so I, I just went there because it's fun and we, <laughs> we, we visited pubs in uh, Tel Aviv and so, so on. You're sitting in a pub drinking whiskey with some stranger and asking, what do you and think is the best user about, experience in websites? And asking things about blogs. So, so I, I'll give you an example. I was asking a few guys who, who are the writers basically trying to create a conversation with them. So I was asking, if you could stand on a stage and read out loud the things that you write on the blog, w- would you like that? And some of them said, I-, I never want to be with people. I want to write and nobody will ever... I-, I-, I basically don't want people to know that I was the one writing that sometimes. Or maybe they can write it, but I don't want to see them writing, uh, reading it. Uh, and others said, just give me audience. I want audience. Mm-hmm. I want to see them. I want to, to talk to them and so on. So we wanda- went on with the conversation and then I asked them, how do you get feedback from your audience? If you're good or bad or are you changing things based on the feedback? So they said that they have a problem because the only feedback that they get is, is people clicking on, on the like button, which is kind of... I don't know what it means because if I just uh, talked about uh, leaving my my uh, the one I was dating lately or stuff like this, so do they like the fact that I wrote about it? Do they like the story? Do they like the fact that we we stopped being together? What is what do I take from this? So from that point of view, I was I was going back to the sketching board and trying to figure out how we can get feedback from people after they read the blog and. A funny story is that what we came out with is a list of uh, seven buttons showing emotions. It was a, the concept of like, but then we had, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry, and so on. This was before Facebook? Because two Facebook... years before that. And oh, wow. two years later, Facebook <laughs> popped up <laughs> with a magical concept of five buttons of, rela- of, of, of emotions, which were 80% the same. So... So uh, you also have got I'm not blaming them in copying, but, but I think we, we went from a, a, the same state of mind of understanding that we want to get a much deeper feedback of emotions. And we basically can get it by one click, which is the, the right click. So. But you, you actually got some exposure to this project. So it, you won an <laughs> award and uh, it's not uh, impossible that uh, there was. I don't know. It's, but it would be a nice idea that, what, that what was Facebook the... t- took it from there. What, what did you uh, win exactly in that? Uh... So, so there's a yearly award called the UX Awards. It's uh, happening in different states in the US. It's basically the top companies submitting their latest projects and stories. And we, we got the most the, the People's Choice Award, which is the, the most fun award to win because this is what people say, not just, just, yeah. just the judges. Uh, and it, it was kind of an amazing feedback to, to the things uh, that, uh, that they do. One more element that I want to share with you is that you talk about blogging, and basically blogging is copying what others do with blogging, which is the way that they present text, which is something that we don't have a lot to do with because it's basically changing fonts, spacing, and page size, and so on. And 
we tried two new things, which were, were rethinking what blogging is. So one of the things that I found in the uh, existing blog is that, amazingly, a lot of writers finish their blog post because it's, it's kind of an emotional. They finish it with adding a, a YouTube uh, item of a, of a song they want the readers to, to hear. So instead of giving them that freedom, we, we took the, the object of the, the YouTube song and we moved it to the top of the page by calling it the soundtrack of the post. So basically oh. what we wanted is that, that the, the writer will decide which type of music people should listen to while reading, which was a nice concept of let's build the soundtrack of what you hear behind while you read. What would be the soundtrack of this podcast, you think? <laughs> wow, this is a, an interesting one. Let us know if you have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and another concept that happened in, in that conversation on the pub. So basically when, when I understood that uh, they don't have a good feedback, we, we offered them the option of reading out loud what they write. And then some of the bloggers added an MP3 file to the blog and readers could actually click on play, which was a good answer to people who don't want to read. So from my point of view, I was assuming that people would either read or they would click on play and move to do something else while hearing. And then we find out, found out that there's a new behavior which we didn't plan for, which was people clicking on play and continuing, continuing to read with the voice of the, 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 the writer. So basically what we had like is... Like story time. Exactly. So, <laughs> so what we basically had is two types of senses working in order to keep the Generation Y concentrated which is how to make them stay instead of go away because they don't have patience. So this was working really nice uh, as a new concept. And if you think of it, it's something that nobody did before in blogging, which is kind of crazy. So it came out from being with people and, and spending time with them in order to get ideas on how to do that. You, you created a cure for ADD uh, generation, right? Something like that. We, we actually have seen more people complete uh, the items and actually hear them from start to end. And then the other thing that we added is we, we asked the blogger to not just write what they have, and, but, but describe the scene. So they had to fill in a form with four questions. It was, what time is it when you're writing? Where are you? What's the temperature? And what's your mood? So they were saying that, uh, you know, I I'm at home. I'm kind of uh, depressed. It's late at night. And it's called. So you basically read the content from a different point of view. You oh, basically wow. understand what they ha what they are feeling. So this was kind of a re <coughs> rethinking what conversation we try to create. And I think it was it was first of all from them for them it was really successful. It was a lot of uh, engagement to the content, and it cre created a new story of how to approach a very specific generation of. ADD, which, which I basically think is relevant for other communities and audiences as well. You almost, uh, you almost created like an immersive experience. Like, it's, like from reading something, it became almost a movie where you imagine the atmosphere and you have a soundtrack and you... It like was it's, the closest it's a totally different thing. To that, without, by the way, without adding specific technologies which are not supported. It was just elements that you can put on the, on the, on the page. That's amazing because it also tackles the problem where you have a, a specific problem probably of that site where you, when you have a site with a lot of writers, it kind of loses a, a unique style. It kind of feels like a, a junkyard of content. It can turn 
into something like that. So by adding this, this consistency of, of mood and soundtrack, you're adding a, a, another layer of atmosphere. It becomes a unified model of how this, uh, this website offers content, which is... Yeah. Everybody adds the, the how long do, we, do you need to read it, which becomes some kind of a template. So it was a much deeper concept of that. Well, this is a good segue to uh, what you're talking about, uh, your, your recent project, Samurai, and uh, essentially how you think about content today. So can you share with us um, how that uh, originated and how it uh, developed? So, so I think uh, th- this project with the Y generation was one of the sources where uh, I got some new understanding of how content should be treated. Uh, usually when I, when I design content uh, pages, I, I usually follow four rules which, which, which I'd like to share because I think they would be effective for people who are dealing with content pages. So, so there's always four rules of, of what to do in order to make your content work better. Uh, first is use much bigger fonts. Usually people ask me, what's the smallest font that we can use which will still be readable? Then I, I used to, a- to answer by following the accessibility guidelines, and I stopped doing that because n- now my answer is, do you want people to read it? So if they say yes, I say, don't write in the smallest font that people can read. Make it much larger in order for them to enjoy reading. Yeah. So we do a lot of resizing fonts. I think a, a great model would be to see how Medium is designing their, their content. The second thing would be to have a very uh, specific titles which are motivating. They, they give you the motivation to go on and read the next paragraph. Uh, the third part would be Who, to who's split. A, who's a good, good, a good example of this? I, I think show me what's in it for me. N- not, not doing a clickbait concept, which like I'm going to sell you and then you're going to read it and see that I didn't follow what I, I promised. I'm always trying to, to write uh, titles based on what's the information that you're going to get and how, how it's going to help you, and then get the, the short motivation of reading another paragraph and then re- replay with it. And, and my, my paragraphs would be very short, so, so we, you wouldn't need to invest too much mm. effort in, in getting that information. So I, I published a book, and um, all, all of my book is, is built this way. It's, in Hebrew, it's 350 pages, and... and Uh, people say that they read it very quickly, much more quickly than, than they assumed because it plays with short motivations for a very long time. So, uh, and, and the fourth part is, is adding images because images just... I, I'm kind of stuck in, in the, the early stage where if there's no image on the page, I don't want to start. You, you, you know that behavior when you're a child, so I'm, I'm kind of stuck there. So I, I put a lot of images in the content. And again, putting images in content is another story where you, you don't just find a stock photo image that relates to the, word, the keyword you're looking for. You're trying to tell a story with the, with the image in order to create curiosity, to, to create the question of what's the relationship between this image and the content that I'm reading in order to create motivation to go on and getting to the point. So, but, but what happened is that uh, the, the project with the Y generation and other things that I did basically showed me that if you look at content strategy, most of the publishers and content providers have a hard time. They try to, to work with acquisition, get people to their pages. And then when they finally have visitors on the pages, what they try to do 
is do whatever they can in order for, for them to stay, because once they leave, we have to re-get them again, which is kind of the hard part. Yeah. And from the other point of view, if you look at people, usually when I find something that I'm interested in and I see a title that I want to read, I fight with, with myself and I say, I want to know what's there, but I don't want to read that. So what we all do that. We all keep open tabs. You know that behavior when you have a million open tabs, you say, I'll Then go back to that. Then you give up and close everyone at once. So, so my, my, my model is that I, I have so many of them that the browser crashes. And then I have two minutes of feeling bad about losing them. And then I feel kind of a relief. You know, I can restart. Yeah. <laughs> and I, a dopamine I, rush. You, you know, get. there's a lot of content. I, I'll get more and I don't care. I don't go to the history and try to figure out what's, what's lost. I, I just start again. But, but you see that we have a hard time dealing with content. We, we want to know what's written there, but we don't want to invest the time in reading. So I have so many bookmarks by now that I have no idea what Why did I bookmark them at all? If you look at the, the pretty much new button of save in, in Facebook, so you basically save things. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, you, you get a pop-up from Facebook saying, you remember that you're saving these things? So, so I'm kind of, yeah, you know. I, I just saw a new I feature on Gmail there. saying, you didn't write back for five days. So Gmail started to actually do those reminders because we're super busy and they noticed that that's a thing. So from a content point of view, I, I figured out that instead of fighting with people, with people and trying to force them to stay, I wanted to check the ability to actually allow them to leave. So how would the content provider allow them to leave? It goes back to looking at the timeline of a user. So, so from my point of view, there's the stage where you identify a content that you want to know what's written there. And there's the, then the, there's the decision making where usually you don't want to read. So we came out with the, the idea of let's take the content and just put on the content a concept of send it to my smartphone. So what, what we have to do in order to send it to your smartphone is have an audio version of that. And our philosophy is not putting an audio version of all of the content. It's about creating summaries of the content. So our, our structure of content in a summary is, is all about what we call micro podcasts. It's a three to four minutes items which are a summary of a source of a content. It could be an external content of others, and it could be your own. So one point of it would be to place some kind of a player in your blog and offer the audience to send it to your smartphone whenever they bump into your content. And what happens when they click on it is that I ask, give me your email. And then basically what we have is lead generation, which works with the way people think and not trying to get them before they leave. So if you think of all of the pop-ups that pop out while I'm moving my mouse towards the, the X button, they basically say, I see that you're going to leave, please don't. And my strategy talks about, let's help you leave. I know that you want to leave. I want to offer you a better way of leaving without, with knowing that the information is going to wait for you on your car or whatever. Like, let, let's part ways, but in a friendly way. Let's stay friends. Let's in a be, way which, be together which is based future. on giving you the value that you expect and instead of trying to fight against what you're trying to, to achieve. Uh, and, and the basic concept of Samurai talks about uh, creating audio summaries for online content. So uh, from the other point of view, what we do is offer brands the ability to, uh, instead of create their own content, we offer them the ability to share summaries of other content online. 
uh, of course, legally. What we do is, is create a legal summary of the content. Uh, and we offer the ability to create boards of content which are summaries of relevant content written by others by giving them the full credit and so on. And by, by basically finding the best content online and giving it to our audience instead of trying to create it on our own. Because if you look at content uh, creation on the, the world, I, I would say that uh, a big amount of uh, marketing teams don't really have the ability to create good content. They create content for SEO, they create content for, um, uh, for, for by bloggers who get keywords to write on. And usually if you'll give that content to professionals, they will say that this content is not very high quality. So instead of writing content, we, we offer the ability to curate content and then share it with the audience because it's good. So what we try to do is kind of clean the mess of bad content being created for uh, search engines and give a much higher rank to good content because we help sharing it and uh, give the, the original writer the, the, the credibility of being the, the author of that. Well, it also is aligned with the fact that audio now is like this podcast. Uh, I'm listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast and he keeps saying everyone has a podcast and also uh, audible and there's sort of a transition to uh, a different medium, less less so t television and uh, more i would say uh, content that is uh, that is audio i agree audio is the the current thing or the next thing or whatever um i think if you look deeper into audio you'll see that it started from audible reading uh, reading books for you narrating books from my point of view when i i'm a very uh, big book downloader me too, me too. I'm buying a lot of them. And usually what happens is that I look at this and I see that this book is eight hours of listening and I'm trying to figure out when will this happen. And then I never start because it's kind of a big decision to, to have a relationship of eight hours with content. So we have a lot of them waiting somewhere. Uh, and then you see startups like, uh, you see startups like Blinkist, mm, which, yeah. which basically create an audio summary of 15 minutes of what the book is about and you would think that it would prevent people from buying the book but what happens is that I hear the book for 15 minutes which works for me and then I buy the original book because I want to have it and, it's sort and of it's, a, an intro to the book it's more of an in-depth intro it's not just telling what the book is about it's giving me some of the information that the, books, the book provides which basically gives me the motivation to go and get it and then basically it waits near uh, next to my bed for years, <laughs> but, but, but I have it. So it's kind of owning the source of that. But so this is basically what we wanted to do with, with online content, which is not books. It's the other articles that exist. We want to create the short version of what they have, what's in, what's in them, create the motivation to go to the original source, and, and then uh, basically follow the idea of people not having uh, to... to create a relationship of eight hours. They, they can go out for a run of 15 minutes and get five summaries at that time, uh, which is uh, basically fitting to the idea of, uh, of, of micro-learning. We we're entering a uh, an era where the more information you have on multiple issues, uh, the, re the more relevant you'll be, opposed to the, to the concept of knowing just one thing very good. Yeah. So, so I think the idea of micro-summaries of a lot of types of content over time 
um, makes us much better in what we do. So this is my philosophy on the future of content, if you'd say. It's a really interesting concept, and I was wondering what would be the boundary between um, like creating a summary to creating something that's more of like a spoiler. Because you like said that you listen to a 15-minute summary of a book, and then you want to read the original, but you know everything by this point. Like, wh- 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 where does it stop being a spoiler? It's like the Woody Allen joke that he went to a speed reading course and he read War and Peace in, uh, in one hour, and it's something about Russia. So, <laughs> you know. so, so I think this is a mix of, of trying to get the main concept, by st- but, but still giving the original source the, the credibility of there's more in there. Uh, sometimes we, we actually have uh, a section in the summaries that says in the original item you'll get an amazing chart of showing you the flow and more details about what they did, what they checked, what they had, and a few more tips you'd go on, read it. It's, it's good. <laughs> and basically what, what we try to do is, is first of all, move out all of the bad content out there and just find uh, the, the gems that, that everybody wants to get. And second give you the motivation to 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 follow them so w- when you find out that there's a person offering more and more good content you basically understand that this is the person to follow so we basically support the the good content discovery and yeah so what what are the what are the kind of uh blogs and um content that you follow to get uh you know to get familiar with um with design ux these sort of uh fields So, so my hack here is, is the fact that I, w- I have been teaching uh, UX for uh, almost a decade and I have uh, hundreds of students who do that for me. I, I, they don't know that they do that for me. But whenever they read something and they find it valuable, they actually share it with the others because this is what we do. So I basically have these resources working. And I, I think over time you try... You, You identify easily what's the sources that you would like to follow. Do uh, you have a, a specific a favorite, like a thought leader in that field or someone we must, must follow? Uh... I think there are a few uh, medium uh, channels uh, that talk about user experience design. That there are basically publishers around that, which are, which are, the, are the ones to follow. I think uh, everybody talks about the basic. Some of them get deeper. And, you know, I really like uh, people who are into providing value. I think the difference between the main types of content marketing is between people who try to get leads from it and people who are more mature in understanding that content marketing works for you when you invest efforts and do it over time and you don't try to get clicks. You, you try to create value Build for your audience. audience. So if you look at, uh, for example, the, the blog of InVision, It's basically priceless because people are writing there because they understand your world. You understand that the people that write from them for them are people who are actually in the field from the field. They're not bloggers from outside that got a few keywords to follow. They, they're people who have what to say about this field. So when it comes from from within the the profession and it, it's written by by the small amount of people who know what they talk about and have the ability to write, then this is what makes you follow. And over time, this is what makes you use the, the brand or f- assume that the brand is valuable for you because they spend a lot of time trying to give pure value in order to, for you to be better at what you do. So I think uh, 
understanding content marketing is all about doing the, the step for maturity and in trying to create good content that creates value. And it goes back to our beginning because creating value is something that you, ha- you, you can do only when you spend time with your audience. Yeah. So this is where everything becomes unified because, again, user, content is all about user experience and understanding your audience. So how can people uh, join and be part of Samurai? And, uh... so, so the original philosophy of Samurai was uh, offering uh, an on-demand model, which is people who bump into articles can just click on the articles. And we have a community of summarizers and voice artists who create content, and then you get it to your phone. Uh, we're kind of leaving this concept aside because we're trying to focus on B2B now, and, and we work on the, the initial... A platform for uh, companies to to use that platform for uh, content marketing uh, and we're kind of under the radar for now so we're, we're working on the initial uh, beta models with five uh, brands that we work with in order to finalize the product in order to, to be really good at what we do because this is the user experience part and once we go through that stage we, we will let the world know that we're uh, we want more more cooperation so There's a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Totally. So, and how do, can people uh, contact you and follow you? I, I think I'm basically around uh, <laughs> Facebook, LinkedIn. Google will tell you, but you're mostly invited to, to put my contact. Uh, and so our listeners just got a sneak preview into what might be the next content revolution, hopefully. Bonanza. Uh, we hope so. I invested my last uh, three years in that, so <laughs> hopefully it's, it's going to uh, provide the, the, the value. So Tal, thank you for being in the podcast. It's, it, it's interesting to see this perspective that is not only you know, goal-oriented and, and uh, you know, not only based on you know, the final stats, but seeing a different approach that is uh, more user uh, experience and research. So I think this is the, the state of mind that over time drives the best results. So it's looking at the long run, trying to create a strategy that is all about creating good value to your audience and then watching the numbers raised much higher than they would then raise expected. by conversion-oriented thinking. There you have it. So thanks, Tal, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Asaf. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye-bye. Thank you so much.